0: Welcome into another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope, joined by Colin Haas-Hill, as always. Getting into uh, the middle of April here. Uh, honestly, Colin, though, I kind of forget what time of year it is at this point, because every week just feels like the same.
1: Yeah, in a normal year, we'd just be going into the offseason. This would be the very first week of heading into the offseason, and I think that we'd spend a lot of time looking back on the spring but right now, it feels like we've been in the off season for a year and a half.
0: Exactly. Under normal circumstances, we would be reviewing the spring game right now. We would be talking about what we saw on Saturday at Ohio Stadium and kind of wrapping up everything we saw this spring. Unfortunately, uh, as you already know at this point, that did not happen. And now the whole question is: When are we going to get back to normal? When are we? When are we going to get back to? talking about Ohio State football practices and games again and uh, the reality is we don't know and we've been trying not to talk about that too much here on Real Pod Wednesdays we don't want to talk about it every week because the reality is we don't know and we also don't want to be repetitive we don't we don't want to have the same conversation every single week when we still might not have an answer for months at this point on on whether college football season is going to proceed as scheduled but with that being said, I do want to talk about it today. And, and I, I think it's appropriate for us to have this conversation once in a while because, because it, is the most, it is the most prescient topic right now in terms of college football is the fact that we don't know whether the season's going to proceed forward as normal. And I, I do think that when, when, we, when we get insight that's worth discussing it is something that we want to discuss on this podcast, and we did get some insight over the past week from a few people who could have influence on whether Ohio State has a football season this year, whether and, Ohio State. And,
1: yeah, and I'll say one thing there before just cut in before you mention them is there's a difference in my mind between answers and insight, and no one's going to have answers right now. So like this is in my mind sort of the best that we can get right now is, is hearing from decision makers about where they stand in the process, what they're looking for, what needs to happen for there to actually be football in the fall.
0: Exactly. The reality is, I don't think we're going to have answers for at least a couple months at this point on, on whether or not football season is going to proceed forward as scheduled. But I do know this, that people like Michael Drake, president of Ohio State, Gene Smith, the athletic director of, at Ohio State, and mike dewine the governor of ohio probably have more insight on this than, than we do they, they they probably have a better idea of how things are going to play out than we do just because they're connected they're they're a part of these conversations yeah they better ulti- know <laughs> yeah i mean if they don't know right now they they, they, <laughs> they really don't know right now but in a few months they're gonna have to know in a few months they're the ones who are ultimately along with many other people whether that's Donald Trump or whether that's Mark Emmert or who, whoever leaders are in college athletics or in the country as a whole, there's a lot of people that are going to ultimately be involved in the decisions that determine whether or not there's college football to be played this fall. But the, the three people that I just mentioned I bring up because each of them, each of them at least touched on this topic over the past week and you know it started on thursday michael drake was on wosu radio for what i believe was his first interview since this entire crisis started and he he was asked about what his thoughts were on whether there'd be college football this fall and his quote i think the quote that he said that stood out to me was whatever it is next year it won't be the same as it was last year one scenario has it being changed in smallish ways security and hygiene kinds of ways, that's one scenario, that's one edge. On the other edge, it's not safe to do it at all. In between, one could imagine different kinds of contests that could take place and could those happen in a way that was engaging and safe? I'm sure that that could be created. He also said, we're not assuming necessarily that the season is going to start and be like last season was. That's not at all a given. We're also not taking if there won't be a season. Something between those wide error bars is where we're looking for planning. So, it would seem that you know he's at least hopeful that there will be a football season this fall he he didn't he definitely didn't rule out the possibility that it could be football games played without fans and now granted you know before I go even any further on this I know there's some fans out there listening to this podcast right now who already have disdain for for Michael Drake and don't care about his opinion uh it, it's also valid to say that he might not even be be the president anymore by the time that this decision has to be made because he's supposed to retire at the end of June. He he did say in his interview last week that that could potentially be fluid just because of the situation we're in right now. A, a new president hasn't been named, so it's possible he would stay on the job a little bit longer uh, until things are able to start to get back to normal. But either way, you know he's only one person in this decision, but he's an important person in this decision because not only is he the president of ohio state but he's also currently the chairman of the ncaa's board of governors so he is going to be an important voice in terms of whether college football season ultimately proceeds forward as scheduled and he does seem at least somewhat hopeful that there will be a season this fall but he also does think that there's going to be some form of impact on the season
1: yeah and i think that when when you say that and you don't and you're not specific well one it's hard to be specific right now. I think unless you want to dive down a bunch of different topics and like, if this happens, could you do it? If this happens, could you do it? I think that's hard to do as a university president, but it also leaves people open to being like, okay, well, if if you think it's going to be different, how different is it going to be? And um, it will happen, right? Because I think that's the other question is when you say it's going to be different, like are you already are you already planning for the possibility that, that there that there wouldn't be a season and um and and if it, if there actually was one, what are the possibilities there? And I think that um and and you can you can you can uh, go on to Gene Smith's comments nets because he, he mentioned this too is, you know, there is the possibility of what if there's no fans? And and obviously they, they, they tried to do that initially for some of the conference tournaments and, and men's basketball. And then those got canceled, in um, in rapid succession. But I know Gene Smith threw a little bit of cold water on that on that possibility. Um, I th- it was it was either later that day or was the next day.
0: Yeah, what Gene, Gene had he he did a radio interview and he also did a teleconference with reporters on Friday and. And one of his quotes when he was asked about the possibility of playing games without fans was, it seems inconsistent to me that we could say it's unsafe for the fans to be in the stands, but it's safe for the players to be in that gathering environment. I don't know. I haven't gone down that path, but I think you guys know me. I tend to lean to work with my colleagues in the Big Ten and with my colleagues nationally. My focus first and foremost right now is if we're going to do something, how do we make sure the players are safe first? And I think that is an enormous question. I think that absolutely is. You know, question A one here is you can't you can't put the players at an unnecessary risk of contracting coronavirus if college football season is going to happen. Because here's the deal: if if you if you start the season the first week of September, and then one player tests positive for coronavirus. Now, neither of those teams, two teams that played are going to be able to play for weeks. It, 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 it can quick Just like we saw with the NBA when they were really the first one to shut down before the ever-professional leagues after, uh, I believe it was Rudy Gobert was the first player who tested positive for coronavirus, that there's a ripple effect that when one player has tested positive, then, then you can link to all these different people around them and quickly it becomes unfeasible to be able to 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 continue on with the season. So we have to get to a point where that's not what has to happen. We, we have to get to a point where if a player tests positive, that doesn't mean anyone who's been around that person has to be quarantined for two weeks. If If we're still at that point, then realistically this isn't gonna happen. But there's still a lot that can happen between now and then, whether, you know, that's just constant testing of players to make sure that, you know, any, you know any, any player who, you know, tests positive, the first sign of testing positive, they're taken out of action. And then, you know, hopefully we're at a point where, you know, other players don't need to be quarantined because of possible exposure to that player. I, I don't know. I'm not a medical expert, so I'm quickly going down a road here of it. I'm not really qualified to speak on, but I do think that's the big. I think that's the big question: is if it's not safe for the fans to be on the stands, then why would it be safe for the players?
1: Yeah, and and I think that this is where you differentiate between professional leagues and college sports. Because yes, there are so many different aspects of of college sports that could be looked at as professional, and I think a lot of people do look at them as professional. But at the end of the day, these are players who are not getting paid salaries. They're college students, and they don't have a union behind them. So when these when these decision makers are, are, are figuring out what they have to do, they, they're the ones who ultimately also have to look out for the players. Uh, because when you're thinking about what a, what the MLB or NBA or NFL is going to do, you have players' unions who are negotiating with the league and, and trying to figure out the, the, best, op- the best way to, to go forth. With the NCAA... You've got a ton of different schools, a ton of different conferences, and the, the, and the ultimate entity, the, the NCAA, who all of a sudden has to make a decision about what what to do as a, as a governing body. And I just think that that is such a difficult thing to do. And that's why I, don't, I think there's going to be a lot of sleepless nights um, across the country um, at really all levels of college sports. Because nobody, nobody, not a single person wants college football not to happen. Who's involved um, in the sport? Everybody's going to do whatever they can, and not just college football. Within college athletics, everybody needs college football to survive. I mean, you saw earlier today on Tuesday, Cincinnati cut its men's soccer program, and to me, that's just the first sign of what's to come. And that's even that, that that's even when you consider that that nobody's canceled football for the for the fall right now. Like, imagine imagine a scenario in which football gets canceled for the fall. The ripple effects are just extraordinary. So, on one hand, everybody involved in this is going to do whatever they can to get college football to happen. But on the other hand, like, these are student-athletes. There's going to be a little bit of a higher bar, at least in my mind, there has to be for, for what, for what's going to happen. Like you're not going to have a scenario in, in which the, where, where the MLB and, and the players association are discussing whether to have every team fly to Phoenix and just to play all their games at, at spring training sites over the course of a couple months. Like that thing, that is not a reasonable solution to what to college sports. When, when, when you think about what's going to happen in college football, you're imagining what, what what's gonna happen and what the solution is for to get it to get college football to happen at least somewhat similarly to to a normal season. And I think that's I think that's really hard because like you said, like if one person gets coronavirus on Ohio State say, like how how can how can the rest of the team go out next week and play? I, I just think that then you come back to well, obviously at some point there needs to be a vaccine and then also how how far advanced can tests get within the next couple months, and and can can you be testing regularly every single week, every couple of days, um, your own players, and and can you get those results back quickly, and and is it feasible to even have that many tests, because obviously right now it's not, and that's why there's so many unknowns, that's why I think this is so difficult right now.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really important point that you make about the difference between professional and college sports here, because. You know, some of the stuff that's being talked about, like in the MLB with, you know, sequestering players and, and, and quarantining them. You, you can't do that with college athletes. I mean, if, if you even try to go down that road with college athletes, then then this has to be the death of the amateurism model. And, and heck, that might be a good thing, but I, I don't think that's the road we're going to go down here.
1: Uh, no, then is not think... going to accidentally stumble into that.
0: <laughs> I, I don't think I, – I think the, the truth is here. If 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 this is a situation where it's not going to be safe for students, regular students, to be back on campus and attending in person classes in the fall across the country, then that's going to significantly decrease the likelihood of college football season starting on time. Because I, I think if we're not in a situation where you know students can can students can go to class in person then it's going to be difficult to rationalize it being safe for college athletes to play games. So I I think, you know, that's probably the biggest thing that has to happen. I, I I don't, I don't, I don't think it's out of a question that, that there could be games played without fans because I think the mass gatherings thing is one of the big things that, that people really want to avoid. And, if, if testing I think I think testing's the big thing here like because I think the reality of a vaccine and Mike DeWine talked about this a little bit on Tuesday as well so I'll, I'll talk about that in a sec but I think the reality with a vaccine is, it's not going to happen in the next couple of months. It's just not how the development of a vaccine works. It's that's something that's probably a year, a year out at least at this point, point. And there's, and there's not even any guarantee there. So I, I think I, I think waiting on a vaccine isn't necessarily the way to go because uh, we we don't know how long that could take, but uh, there's going to have to be more. There's going to have to be different things available than there are right now, I think, for this to necessarily be realistic because I think if, if you can regularly test the players and you can regularly test anyone who would be at the game, whether that be staffers, media, whoever, I, I think it might be, it might be plausible. Um, you're not going to be able to to test a hundred thousand fans walking into a stadium, so I think that's why, I think that's why that's a possibility. But like Gene said, I I still think you're going to have that question of if it's not safe for the fans, is it safe for the players? And I think there's a lot of questions that still have to be answered there. Well, uh, as I mentioned, Mike DeWine also talked a little bit on Tuesday, not not so much specifically about sports he was asked about sports and when those would come back and his answer was basically i don't know he did say i would say that as you look at any kind of coming back that large gatherings of people are going to be the last thing that we check off the box and say okay we should be doing that so they're going to be looking to bring other things back first before packing people into a stadium so you know that that does decrease the likelihood, I think, that there's going to be 100,000 people in Ohio Stadium on the first weekend of September. But again, as DeWine said himself, I think it's much too early to be making any decisions about fall. And I I agree with that. I think it is too early to be making decisions about fall. I think there's still time for a lot to happen, a lot to change. And uh, we certainly hope it will. But uh, Mike DeWine also said, he said, This is the hardest thing for me to accept, and so I suspect it's hard for other people to accept. But until there is a vaccine, this monster, as I've referred to it, is going to be lurking around us. And so when we start businesses back up, when we start schools back up, when we start colleges back up, it's going to be different. And the question now is what does going to be different look like?
1: Yeah, and and I think that that's sort of a similar quote um, to to sort of what, what Michael Drake said a few days ago. Um, when he said, you know, there, there might be differences um, in, in, in college football in the season. And, you know, it's just as we sit here today on, on today, it's, it's April 14th. I just think that, you know, the next month is super important. The next two months are super important. It's hard for me to imagine we reach the end of June and we don't know what's happening in the fall, in the fall for the football season.
0: Yeah, I think I think we're gonna at least have an idea at this point of, of where this is headed. I, you know, I, I, I think you you mentioned it before. Everyone wants college football season to happen, and there's a l- lot of reasons for that. One of the biggest reasons for that is that if there is no college football season, it will cripple college athletic departments financially, and that's not that's not an overstatement. And it's and, coming
1: and, after it's coming after a lack of an NCAA tournament.
0: Yeah, I mean, if, if there's no college football season this fall, it, it, it is going to have enormous consequences for, for all college athletic departments. Even Ohio State, which is one of the most well-positioned schools to handle this, will still face consequences. Gene Smith said on Friday when we talked to him that Ohio State typically brings in 5 to $7 million per home football game in terms of net revenue, which which comes from fans attending the game, parking, concessions, whatever. So if you add that up, seven home games, you're talking about 35 to $49 million over the course of a season that Ohio State could potentially lose. That's a lot of money. And, and
1: that's just one certain aspect of, of what they can lose,
0: what they would right. lose to. Right. So I, I think the reality is if – if there's no football season, there's going to be con- consequences. I think even a school like Ohio State, which might be better built to withstand the storm than than most, is still going to have to look at potentially cutting sports, laying people off, pay cuts, so- something. Because college football is such an enormous driver of, of college athletics revenue that you know, they they need to have a season. They, they really do, but that can't come at the expense of, of player safety. It also can't supersede the law. So first and foremost, the states and the federal government have to give the go-ahead for these things to be able to happen. And, you know, you also consider, you know, Ohio State, you know, most of the teams they're playing, other than Bowling Green in week one, aren't located in ohio so really until we get to a point where all 50 states are allowing these things to happen there are going to be restrictions that everybody has to deal with so that's the challenging thing A, a lot has to happen in the next few months for this to be realistic because the other thing that gene smith and ryan and ryan day he was on uh, ESPN's Get Up on Friday morning, and he's he's actually going to be talking to the media on Wednesday morning, so by the time you're listening to this podcast, uh, we may have a little more information from him, though I, I don't really expect him to say anything too different from what Gene said because they're usually very much in lockstep, but the one thing they both talked about for college football season specifically is that there has to be a return to play period before the season starts. Day said he believes that needs to be about six weeks. But they, they have to have practices. They have to have training. If not, you're going to significantly increase the risk of player injuries if you just throw them out there on the field. So in terms of player safety, for, for football specifically, it's not just coronavirus. It's also the fact that you've got to have adequate time before the season that they can be back on campus and training. In order to be physically ready to play a football game in September.
1: In both Gene and Ryan Ryan Day said essentially that they're not sure exactly what the time should be. I think they threw out anywhere between was it four and six weeks around then. Yeah, I, I think I think they're both
0: you know flexible, and I think they're going to have to be flexible. I think you know I think if I think if they were told they could only have four weeks. To practice before the start of a the season, they would they would make do. They they would adjust.
1: They would have to. They would have to. Yes. Um, that's why, like when I when I think about we're gonna know what's gonna happen by the end of June, is because I just think August is essentially going to be um, the the run up to the season in my mind. In a best case scenario, is is august is essentially going to be the the preseason camp and if they can't have it then then you wonder about can you push the season back can you get rid of some non-conference games can you just push the postseason back a little bit and have the full season and that's the stuff where i do think it is too early to to really speculate and, and understand of what the possibilities are because there are literal months between now and when those decisions have to be made but like we keep saying, there's just there's there's so much that needs to happen, and so many people that need to get in line and get on the same page, and and this is just an ever this is an ever changing virus, and and it's and it's just hard to know how or when that'll ever happen.
0: Yeah, I believe it was Gene who was asked about a hard deadline that he thought there would be. In determining whether our football yep. season can start, a schedule and and he said no, but I, I I would view like you said, I I think August one, I would say if if players aren't back on campus and and going through team workouts on August one, then the season's not starting on time. I think yep. I, I, I and it would I, I think hard for
1: me to imagine that that any alternative is possible. Yeah, and, that's and, and I think it, pushing it back.
0: Yeah, I think ideally, you want to have players back on campus and training by mid July, but I think. I think that August 1, to me, that would be your, you know, for sure cutoff. That if if they're not able to be back on campus and training together by August 1, then starting this season, the first week of September, just isn't going to be realistic.
1: Yeah, and, and part of this is also a little bit out of their control because, so what, what happens if four-fifths of the universities bring everybody back for fall, for fall classes, but a fifth of them don't? Like what happens then? Do right. the other do the other universities just only have the football team on campus? Is that not even possible? What what happens in that scenario? And that's why you know you're not only having to to get all the football teams on the same page, you literally have to get every single university on the same page. And that's where I think if you want to have a degree of skepticism, I think that's where it comes in because man, that is that is that is a hard ask. And sure, everybody wants that to happen, but you know they're like there are people dying <laughs> there 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 are real life th- there there are real important things happening in the world that you know might necessitate certain universities in certain areas to keep kids from from going back to college in, in the fall and it's sure people aren't making that decision right now but it's not hard to, to, to realize that there are 130 there are 130 universities in division 1 football like how are, are we sure that 130 of them are all going to have cl- kids on on campus in the fall cuz I mean, right now, it's hard for me to say that with any degree of certainty.
0: Yeah, I think we have to remember that. I think it's important to remember that, that, you know, we look at this through the lens of Ohio State, where football is everything. And
1: yeah, and where Mike DeWine has done a really a really good job thus far.
0: Right, and, and, we, and we, we look, right, in Ohio being ahead of a lot of other states. But when you think about, you know, these decisions that are going to be made, yeah you're not just accounting for the ohio states and michigan's and clemson's and alabama's and oklahoma's of the world you're accounting for fbs and fcs and d2 and d3 with some of these decisions so you there I, i there is a lot to factor in here you know i i know some people have started to write about you know what are the potential you know fallouts of this are there different things that maybe could change as a result of this i i do wonder depending on how this plays out if maybe this is the fallout that kind of starts to to truly break up the power 5 from everyone else because i i, I do think the schools that are going to be by far the most motivated to to get sports started back up to get football started back up are going to be those power conferences i think uh, it, it's going to be a different conversation at those you know FCS D2 D3 even even smaller FBS schools where where because while we talk about how much money football brings in at Ohio State, that's not the case at smaller schools. A lot of smaller schools lose money on football. They subsidize their football program. So are those schools going to have the same kind of motivation as Ohio State to, to get back on the football field? Probably not. Uh, the players certainly will. The coaches certainly will. But the, the school leaders probably won't. I will say this, about Ohio State. I, 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 I really do believe that Gene Smith, Michael Drake, Ryan Day, all, all, all these people involved in I really do believe that they are putting their the safety of the student-athletes at number one. I, I really do believe that that is their number one priority by far. And they are not going to make a decision that puts their athletes in harm's way just because it helps the bottom line. I, I, I think... The people that Ohio State has in place understand that the priority is to keep their student-athletes safe. And while we all want football... And 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 let me make that clear, too, because I know there are people out there who, for some reason, are convinced that members of the sports media don't want there to be a football season. I can promise you from <laughs> my perspective, and I know I can speak for Colin on this as well...
1: Can't confirm.
0: We desperately want there to be football season we don't know what our lives are going to look like if there's no football season we desperately want football season and it makes it hard for me to even talk about the possibilities of not having football season because i I want there to be a football season so badly but if no one cares
1: about us and they're going to make the decision not thinking about us but they don't but they don't they don't Lord, care they about us.
0: It. There's no question that <laughs> they don't they don't care about us and 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 I'm in no way suggesting that our <laughs> <Or> should they. <laughs> no, I'm in no way suggesting that our lives as media members and how it affects us should have any impact on the decision. Just saying that, you know, like I think most college football fans out there, we really want there to be a season, but we also have to understand that there you know, there are other factors at play here. And ultimately, the number one priority in any decisions that are made has to be player safety and and not putting people at unnecessary risk, not putting the country at risk of another outbreak of this disease. And we all just want this to be over as soon as possible. But we have to trust the medical experts here. We have to trust of the people who understand how pandemics work. Because I I like to think that, you know, Colin and I know a decent amount about sports, but we're certainly not medical experts. So uh, we're just kind of talking about based off, you know, what we're hearing and whatever people are saying about this. And and that's why I'm not going to make any predictions about how this is going to play out. I don't think Colin wants to either. We just kind of want to discuss the possibilities here. But ultimately whatever route it is, whether it's a full football season, whether it's a football season without fans, whether it's starting the season late, starting in the spring, or the worst case scenario, the one that none of us want, no season at all, ultimately when the season starts up again it is going to be when it's determined that it's safe to do so and that doing so is not going to create a substantial risk of making this pandemic worse.
1: And thus ends pandemic talk.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot to talk about, and we could talk about it. We could truly talk about it for two hours if if we wanted to. Um, you know, it's one of those things that we don't know, and there's there's going to be a lot of different opinions out there. There's different opinions every day, and when there's new developments on this, we'll we'll talk about it again here on this podcast. But I, I, I think that for right now there's so much unknown that it probably is the right decision to move on in our conversation to some other topics and we did have an opportunity on Tuesday to talk to Chris Holtman who held his first teleconference since the end of the season and so we got to get some of his insights about uh, what's been going on with the basketball program since the season abruptly came to an end because of the coronavirus pandemic and Obviously, the big topic of conversation right now around the basketball program has been transfers because they lost DJ Carton. They lost Alonzo Gaffney, and Alonzo Gaffney is planning to go pro. At least that's what Chris Holtman certainly is expecting uh, based on what he said Tuesday. And then Luford Mohamed, really the most surprising one, he decided to transfer as well. So Ohio State losing free players to transfer. Also losing Caleb Wesson to the NBA draft, that was expected all along, and now bringing in free transfers: Seth Towns from Harvard, Jimmy Sotos from Bucknell, who we talked about last week, and then most recently, is it is it Abel Porter or Abel Porter? From it's Abel. Abel. Okay, I wasn't sure. A- Abel Porter from Utah State, and and you've taught you've talked to Jimmy, you've talked to Abel, so you you know a little bit. little bit more about them if we want to talk about them a little more in a few minutes but just in terms of what Holtman said he he couldn't talk about either Jimmy or Abel on Tuesday because they have not officially signed with the program yet but he did say that he feels good about the roster Ohio State has have and I'm sure I know some of you out there are thinking well that's what he has to say but from from the way he sounded, he 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 genuinely did not seem concerned. He genuinely seemed to feel like his roster is in a good place, despite all the attrition.
1: Yeah, and that's sort of been a position that has been um, that those on his staff have held, sort of throughout this entire um, month of roster fluctuation. Um, is that you know while there are fans out there wondering, is everything falling apart? Are there gigantic issues within the program? Will Chris Holtman ever um, get over the hump? I do think that within the program, there's been a lot of confidence and a lot of optimism about what's ahead. Now, I think it's also fair to say, though, that you know none of this was planned for. I just think generally they've responded pretty well. And I think that there are important lessons that they've learned and they've had to learn Um, And then there are other just circumstances that maybe were outside of their control and were basically impossible to plan for, and they've just had to to deal with them. So where they are right now, I do think they're at an okay place. Um, I don't think it's optimal. I think that you would certainly prefer to have third-year Luther Muhammad and second-year DJ Carton on the roster right now. But as it stands, I, I, I do think there's generally a good amount to like. now. I I understand I also understand why people who say, you know, obviously he's going to say he feels good about the roster right now. But I also genuinely think that this this is a chance to be a pretty good team. My questions again are sort of what we hit on last week or there's 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 essentially 12 guys in the team right now who need to make pretty significant jumps in the offseason how many of them are going to need to, to how many of them are going to be able to, to get to where ohio state needs them next season and that's where it's literally impossible to know right now just because you're you've got to wait and see how certain folks develop
0: yeah i think at one point i think he was asked about dwayne washington during tuesday's teleconference about the jump he needed to make and then he proceeded to name every single scholarship player and saying <laughs> he pulled colin
1: hossell dan
0: Yes, they needed to. They needed to. They all need to make a jump. So, so that tells you where the team is at. I mean, I, I think that's that's the truth. Is I, I I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna say, oh, I think you know Holtman should be concerned about his team because I think you know he, you know he he knows his team certainly better than anyone else. I would think, but I, I do think the reality is if they're gonna be a contending team next year. You're counting on a lot of guys making jumps, and you're counting on guys who have never played a game for Ohio State before, whether they're transfers or freshmen or whatever, to be able to contribute as well. So there's a lot of unknowns going into the season. You know, one thing that I, I think is is a question mark here, and, and he acknowledged it as well that it is it is a concern is the fact that when you have so much roster movement, you'd really like to have a full off season. You'd like to have as much time as possible with these guys to build chemistry and and to develop toward the season but as of now much like with football we have no idea when the basketball team is going to be able to return to campus and when they're going to start being able to prepare for next season so that's a challenge they have to deal with it's a challenge Everyone has to deal with, but maybe it affects them a little bit more just because of all this roster movement. So he said they're they're going to have to hit the ground running when they get back.
1: Yeah, I, I do think that, that that is the case. I I think it's um, I think they're 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 just in a fascinating place right now because to me, it they're they're sort of they're on one hand the, the this is a team that's entering the fourth year of the Chris Holtman era, and you imagine that all right. Now is the time where it's, you, you've got to start contending for Big Ten titles. Um, I think that some people thought that last year was was the year that they'd be able to do that, and obviously that didn't happen because of what happened in January. But I do think when you look up and down this roster, you just sort of you ask yourself like, is the talent there? Is is what Chris Holtman wants there? And I think, I think the answer to to, to the question of is the talent there? I think the answer is yes, but to to the to the answer of is this what Chris Holman wants I think that's more of a I know the answer is yes because when I when I think about what what, what Chris Holman's looking for in a team he's looking for it's, uh, he's looking for experience generally He's looking for guys who, who, guys like C.J. Walker, who's a fifth-year point guard, Dwayne Washington will be an upperclassman. He's got he's got switchable forwards. Um, he's got a decent amount of shooting. I think Seth Towns adds that certainly. Um, you, he, he's got a mix of guys who are returning and guys who are who, who are um, coming into the program who are generally regarded as as high character high character guys. Um, and and I do think it, it's worth noting that. Like what I've talked to four of the five guys thus far, um, who, who Ohio State's bringing in, and and, and that includes Zed Key and Eugene Brown, the, the two freshmen as well. And I think maybe one thing that's sort of an overarching theme of all of those guys, the one guy who I haven't talked to yet is Seth Towns, but I'm I'm certain he fits fits into this. Is that you know generally these are when I talk to them, these are team first guys who want to develop well. But also are really looking to win, and they really want to win. And it seems like they're 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 perfectly fine fitting into whatever roles that Ohio State needs. And when you have those kinds of newcomers um, coming in to mix with a team that has certain guys like um, C.J. Walker and and Dwayne Washington who are, who are setting their roles, you have Kyle Young who's coming back will likely start. You have E.J. Liddell who who can potentially make a leap as a sophomore. Um, you have, you and 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 Justice Sewing is a guy who could potentially lead them in, in scoring even though he, he sat out last season, I think that he's someone who they're really high on. When you have that kind of mix, like that to me, th- this is what Chris Holtman wants. So if Chris Holtman's gonna win, a- a- in my mind, this this is a year where I think people have them as around the 20 to 25th team in the preseason. Like to me, this is a Chris Holtman team that that can win, even if um there, there are three transfers in the offseason. Like I, I I don't know. I, maybe I'm a little bit too high on this team, but but I I understand why he made that comment.
0: I can't imagine why you'd be so confident that a a Harvard graduate would be a team-first guy, a guy who would... uh, A guy who would bring some good qualities to the team, I think yeah, I think yeah, he, anyone yeah, if
1: he's the one who I didn't talk to and I and I still feel confident in the other four, yeah. I, I think it's I, I just think it's a good group of guys to bring into a team where you were questioning a little bit last year of, you know, what's happening in the middle of the season. Can the ship get studied? I think that these guys are, are are the kind of guys who would do do well in that situation.
0: Yeah, I think anyone who who has the discipline to graduate from Harvard Probably uh, is going to bring some good qualities to your team, and I I, I think I think it's a good point to bring up because one thing that Holtman mentioned on Tuesday is he said he, he said he's more committed to, than ever to recruiting players who he believes will be good fits for the program, and he said he has a better feel for that now than he did when he started three years ago, and he didn't mention anybody by name, but I think what he's saying there, if you read between the lines, is some of these guys who have left the program. We're not good fits for the program. We're not guys who necessarily fit what he's trying to build at at Ohio State. And, you know, he's certainly wishing all of them well. I'm not saying he ran any of them around or anything, but I I do think that, I I do get the impression that he's learned a lesson over the last few years. And, you know, I'm sure things are just different in this regard at Ohio State than they are when you're at Butler. But I think he's learned a lesson a little bit over the last few years about maybe putting a higher priority in recruiting on guys who he thinks will be good personality fits and not necessarily just how highly ranked is a guy, how talented is a guy. So I think that's an astute observation that you make in terms of all of these guys seeming to be, you know, team first guys who who really fit a certain mold that he's looking for and I think that will continue to shape the way he recruits in future years.
1: Yeah, and and I do think um like like when I when I think back at the the Alonzo Gaffney experience, I mean, he's a guy who you heard well before he came on campus that the potential's there. Potential, potential, potential. And I still remember Chris Holtman saying before the season about how, you know, that's a little bit of a dangerous word because you hear potential and you think about what he can become, but you also realize that, that there's still a process in getting there. And I don't think Alonzo Gaffney ever necessarily got there. When I think about the guys who they're bringing in, I think about guys who are going to reach their potential, though their ceiling is, is maybe less... Or honestly, I would say 100, percent definitely, yet uh, not not quite as high as uh, DJ Carton and and um, Alonzo Gaffney's. Uh, but you know, maybe maybe in in this age of college basketball, where where Chris Holman wants to get old and stay old, as he's said a million times, you know, maybe this is this is the way that, that he's able to do it. And I think that maybe that's something that, that he's been able to to learn.
0: You mentioned last week that when we talked about who that final piece of a roster might be, you you mentioned that you thought it would be an Andrew Dockich type player, and, and based on everything I've heard about Abel Porter, it seems like you hit the nail right on the head there.
1: Yeah, I gotta say, the um, <laughs> he's basically, he, I, I think um, his past, is, he's a little bit better than Andrew Dockich um, in terms of what he's done before Ohio State, just that he started the past season and a half on on a utah state team that that won conference titles but um yeah he's not exactly going to be a guy who comes in here and averages 16 and 5 or something like that he's going to be someone who comes in averages maybe 15 to 20 minutes i don't know four or five points a game a couple assists a game he's someone like that but so i talked to him a little bit earlier today for a story that i'll run at some point in the next week or so um I mean, when I asked him about, about the fit and, and why why this role is okay for him, because he's someone who started the last year and a half, and yes, he was a walk-on to begin his career at, a, at Utah State, but he was a starter at, at a, at a, on a good mid-major team. And he essentially said, like, he doesn't have a problem coming off the bench or starting, that's not important to him. What he wants to do is just be in position to make winning plays and, and to play in the NCAA tournament. And, like, when I heard that, I was like, well, this guy's literally the exact – like, that's the exact mindset that Ohio State really wanted in a guy who is filling this role where you know that you're not going to start um, unless something happens to Dwayne Washington or C.J. Walker. You're going to be their backup. Um, and sure, maybe you, – you've got a you've got a good amount of scores elsewhere in, in Towns and Suing and Liddell. You don't necessarily need – you don't need a guy to come in and score double figures. To me, it just makes sense, and it's not flashy at all. And Abel Porter, if he, if they win the championship because of Abel Porter, I would be absolutely floored. But he's a solid player who has won a lot of games as a starter, and he's someone who can come in and fill the role that they need. And at the end of the day, you weren't going to go out and get a Bryce Aiken who scored 20-plus a game at Harvard. You weren't going to get someone who wanted to play 30 minutes a game. You are going to get someone who wanted to come in and, and, and was going to be okay to be a backup, and that's what he is.
0: Yeah, the reality is there's only one ball to go around. There's only 200 minutes to go around if you look at 40 times five. So you, you, the reality is in in an in an era where guys are going to transfer if they don't have the role that they want. You're just not going to be able to build a team of 13 guys with superstar potential. It's just it's just not doable in modern college basketball. So. You know, I, I think the, the big question that I have with Ohio State right now is, do they have one guy with superstar potential?
1: Yeah, I, I think like, I think that's a, I think that's an extremely fair question. Um, and that's where I just look at E.J. Liddell, and I think his development is incredibly important. And then I think about Justice Suing, and I think, you know, I mean, based on everything that I've heard, I, I'm expecting him to either lead the team in scoring or, or be second. I, I expect him to be a, a prolific scorer. And then you wonder about someone like Dwayne. Can he take a net step and be efficient? And then Seth Towns, and and can he can he get healthy and can he play at a level in the Big Ten that that he reached in the Ivy League? And I just think those are four fairly big unknowns right now that 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 you're just not going to have answers to for a few months. And yet, at like you said, it's going to be really important for them to eventually get answers.
0: Yeah, I think it's really hard if you talk about okay, what's the ceiling of next year's team? What's the floor? I think it's hard to even say either one yep. at this point because I just think, I, you know, I think if, if all those things go well, then maybe their ceiling's pretty high. Yep. Uh, but if a lot of those things don't go well, their floor could be pretty low. So I think I think there's a lot of variables there. You did mention expectations earlier, and I want to get back to that because, like you said, I, I do think this was a point where the expectation is supposed to be big 10 championships and and we're in such a weird spot because we we can't really evaluate last season fully Mm -hmm. because there was no ncaa tournament so yeah
1: just to jump off that point really quickly i just want to say i think that a lot of coaches are going to be in a little bit of trouble here because you have a guy like chris holtman um and who sure he he's he did very well in the first year He had a solid second year, and then you had an up-and-down third year that ended well. But if in that third year you get to the Sweet 16, you, you make a run, maybe the Elite Eight or something, all of a sudden, that's a really successful third year. But... What happens if next year you bring back a team, maybe it's a three or four seed, you have a really good regular season, maybe you don't win the Big Ten title, and then something happens, you get upset in the first in the first or second round of the NCAA tournament, then people will turn around and say, well, Chris Holtman's been here four years and he, and he hasn't made it to the Sweet 16 yet, when last year maybe you would have made it to the Sweet 16, you just don't know. And that's why I think there are going to be some coaches who maybe next year, if, if they don't get where they want to get in the NCAA tournament, they're, they're going to be in a little bit more trouble when it when it comes to dealing with fans just because they didn't get to experience what the tournament would have been last year. And yes, you can say, well, you couldn't guarantee a sweet-sit scene. You couldn't guarantee that they would even get out of the first round. Yeah, that that's true. But you also don't know what would have happened. Who knows? Maybe they could have made a run.
0: Yeah, I think it goes both ways because yeah. I think n- and now every, every coach from a team that was about to make the NCAA tournament – can now say can now talk about what the best case scenario could have been because that's what Mm -hmm. that's what chris altman did on tuesday he was talking about how he was confident that his team was going to make a run that it could have been a, a sweet 16 team and and so it goes both ways here you 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 they didn't get that opportunity to potentially exceed expectations in the ncaa tournament and potentially make a okay season better but at the same time, you also didn't have that opportunity to potentially go get upset in the first round and then have that stigma attached to you. So it, it, it goes both ways. It's a, it's a nice luxury to be able to say, well, this is what would have happened when you didn't actually have to go do it. But at the same time, you still also have that hanging over your head of, man, we could have done this and we didn't get that opportunity.
1: Yeah, so- it's, it's impossible because neither person is right because <laughs> nothing right. actually happened.
0: Right, I, 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 think, I think Chris Holtman's expectation is reasonable. I think he genuinely means it too. I think he genuinely believed his team was capable of, you know, getting at least to the second weekend, and and I think so too. I think if things went right, I, I, I yeah, it's matchup I dependent not, as always. Yeah, I'm not telling you I would have bet a lot of money on it, but I, I think that, I, I think that it had that kind of potential. But like you said, I. I don't know will next year's team have that kind of potential i don't know i mean i i I really don't know and i think you're right that if it if you know this isn't a team that can get to the sweet 16 next year then this does hurt him because he, he is you know facing the potential possibility of being four seasons into his ohio state career and not having a big run and and i also think the tough thing now is i think just based on the roster, based on the guys who have left, I think expectations should be lower for next year than they were for this year. But he no longer has that benefit he had the first couple seasons, where you know year year one they totally outperformed expectations. You know he, he took over a team that hadn't even made the tournament. There were really no expectations, and and they flew past him. Year two, it was expected they might take a step back. And that was because they were losing Keita Bates-Diap. They were losing Jay Shante. Things that were out of his control because recruiting classes before he came in had not panned out. But now, if you don't perform well, then it goes back to the guys who you weren't able to keep in the program. All the guys who transferred out under your watch. So you no longer have that excuse to fall back on. Now, you're expected to make it work even if some unfortunate things have happened to get you to this point. And so this is, it's going to be a big year for Holtman. There's going to be a lot of challenges that he's going to have to deal with. And first and foremost being the fact that we don't even know when they're going to be able to get back to normal and start practicing as a team again.
1: Yeah, I, I do think it's interesting that you make the point that um, mm-hmm. that you don't know uh, or, or that the, that it makes sense that expectations are lower because of the transfers. I get that. I'm just gonna say, like, I feel like I'm gonna be the optimist this off season. Because I think the expectations right now are too low for this team. I really do. This is the team that Chris Holtman wanted. This is the vet that has veterans on it. And sure, the veterans uh, that there are there are important players who are transfers who are veterans, but they're still veterans, which is something that's been very important to him, especially in the backcourt. They're his players, like 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 you had just said. And you know, I do think that there's there's talent on this team that can that can make a jump. So I don't know. I feel like I'm going to be the optimist, but I'll say this: I think. I think it's also largely because I've bought it. I've I, I believed Holtman when he says that this is the type of team that he wants to coach. So now I do think it's important for him to go out and succeed with this team. If expectations are going to be that they're around the twenty to thirtieth best team in the country, I do think that they have to be better than that. Um, and 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 you know, like I I think they will. And to his credit, he's not he's not trying to.
0: He's not trying to build in an excuse for himself. And what I mean by that is he's not going out and saying, yeah, these transfers really killed us. He's going out and saying, no, this is kind of about what we expect. So to your point, if that's what you expect, then you don't lower your expectations because that happened. If if that's what you expect, okay, if this is the kind of team you want to build, then you're right. You've got to go out you got to go you got to go make sweet 16 like you were supposed to do this year. you got you got to go do that next year if you, if you if you if you haven't done that within 4 years at ohio state then it's very fair for fans to question whether the
1: program is headed in the right direction yep i completely agree with that i love a good basketball conversation yeah we have talked a lot of basketball in here the last couple <laughs> yeah, of weeks so i, I, I hope, think that maybe next week we'll have a no basketball
0: podcast well next week next you you already know what i want to talk about next week i don't know so yeah i might have next an idea. week is my favorite sports week of the year that would be nfl draft week but we will save we'll save that for next week uh we did have one basketball specific question seattle linga asked us well, what was coach holtman's message to the team when he first learned the big 10 tournament was canceled and what has his message been to the team the last couple of weeks y- you might have a little more insight on that than i do Colin. i don't think he really said anything too specific of a message today other than that uh, they have been having weekly meetings with the team and are certainly you know trying to keep up regular communication with them during this unusual circumstance.
1: Yeah, I think when when he first learned that the Big Ten tournament was canceled, the the first message um, was not to the team in particular, or uh, as a whole, it was more so in particular Andre Wesson because obviously at that time, Um, the NCAA tournament wasn't canceled but that was in jeopardy and you had an idea that you know Andre Wesson might have already played his last game and we didn't know it so more so than anything else it was to to call Andre Wesson and and let him know that you know this had happened and and let him know that obviously this is terrible but hopefully they're they're, they'll make the best of it and unfortunately at that time that it 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 was Andre Wesson and and the rest of the seniors they they had they had played their final game but you know from from then on I, I I think that I think they turned the page fairly quickly um, to, to looking at next year obviously based on the amount of roster fluctuation for the past month it's it's hard to imagine that, that, that they couldn't have um, but so I think I, I I think more so than anything the fact that the roster has been in flux so much right now I'm not sure they've had a central theme a, a central message that they've been trying to get to the team I think more so it's just you've got to figure out who's actually on the team before you can start delivering one single message and, and make it maybe a theme of the offseason.
0: We did also have a question about whether Holtman would be in favor of starting the basketball season up again with the NCAA tournament, as Bob Huggins proposed last week. Holtman was not asked about that, so I uh, cannot speak for him on that.
1: I would say um, the answer is probably not.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think that proposal is, is very unlikely to happen, I would say. Um, and I't think we're, I don't even think we're close to that point of that even being something uh, that would be realistic to discuss at this point because at this point, again, much like football, they're just hoping that next season's gonna start on time. So yep. yeah, um, I, I think I, I mean, first of all, Ohio State's gonna have uh, almost half of a completely different team next year. So uh, I think that is for that is one reason why Ohio State has to just put last year behind them. And move on to next season and he did say that his players are very excited about next season so we will take his word on that got a few more of your questions to get to uh, we we were gonna we were gonna talk a little bit about uh, you know draft the draft of a football team that we did last year because i felt like we were the only podcast that didn't do a spring game draft last week but we decided to save that for another time we have plenty else to talk about today um, we'll, we'll save that for the summer when we'll have uh, plenty of time to talk about that. But Colin, you did write on Tuesday about who who's going to be the third receiver for Ohio State next season behind Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, and I think I think that was a really good topic for you to write about. And I think it's a really interesting question because we've talked so much about how talented that receiver room is, and there's no question if there's a lot of talent, but. I also think that it's maybe not been talked about enough the fact that yeah you got Chris Olave who's really good you got Garrett Wilson who I certainly think is going to be really good but behind them the rest of the room is unproven and especially when you factor in that you know there ha- there weren't any spring practice there was I mean, there was one week of spring practice but y- you didn't have that full week of spring practice for those early enrollees to really get acclimated the way they normally would. You do have some major questions right now about how that receiver depth chart is going to stack up. And that's not to say that it won't be a really good receiver depth chart. But truly, you know, if I was doing a depth chart projection right now, and I probably will here at some point soon, that might be the toughest position right now for me to predict just how exactly it's going to look.
1: Yeah, maybe I should have been bold and made a prediction of who I thought would be the, the third leading receiver. But in all honesty... Well, you like can I, now. I can now, but in all honesty, God, I, I I have no idea. I think that this is one of the most difficult pro difficult things to, to consider. Now, the the one thing I'll say is like maybe it is a it may, maybe it is a, a sort of a, a an unanswerable question because I do think that you can make the case that you know Ohio State doesn't really have go to receivers. Um, they don't have two guys you catch ninety balls, three guys you catch seventy balls, and everybody else catches ten balls. I think they spread around a, a pretty decent amount. So maybe the third guy isn't there isn't such a difference between the third guy and the fourth guy. But whoever's the starter is going going to play more snaps than than the other receivers. Whoever's a starter, hypothetically, will probably get more catches than the others. And I think that's where it's just it's hard to know right now because. When I think of the guys who, who are the possibilities, you have Jameson Williams, who is incredibly fast. He had, he had six catches last year. You have Jalen Harris, who's going to be a senior. He had one catch last year, and then you think, all right, well, who else is there? Maybe if Garrett Wilson stays on the outside, there's Jalen Gill, but Jalen Gill couldn't even become the backup H back last year. Why would I go ahead and, and project him to be the starting uh, the starting H back? And that's the same question I have about Demario. Um, and then you think, okay, well, maybe one of the four freshmen, but those are those guys are freshmen. The, the, typically, the, that's not going to be the third leading receiver at, on an Ohio State team. So I just think that that's it's. it's it's an unanswerable question right now, even though I'm sure people are going to have hot takes that there's an obvious answer to it.
0: Yeah, I would say to me it's two different questions. If the question is, who do I think will be third on the team in receiving production next year, my pick would be Jameson Williams. I, I, I think I think Jameson Williams is going to make a big jump. Obviously, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, I think, are going to be one and, one and two in whichever order that plays out. But I, I, think, I think Jameson Williams would be my pick to be, third on the team in receiving production, catches, yards, touchdowns, all of that because
1: yeah, the, the funny thing is is I'm not even I don't know that I'm with you on that. I think that he might be for receiving yards. I'm not sure he will for 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 receiving. Yeah,
0: I, yeah, I wasn't necessarily being specific there. I was just kind of saying like overall, like I'm not I'm not mm-hmm. saying he'd be third in every single category, just like overall I think he'd be uh, the third most productive guy cuz I, I do think he's got a really bright future, but you know my my feeling is and, and this can all be changed because ultimately you want to get your best guys on the field. But my feeling is, him and Olave would ideally rotate at that Z receiver spot. I think that's the spot where they like both of those guys best. So they could certainly change that up to get them both on the field at the same time. But I don't necessarily know if they do that. I think, you know, I, I think Jameson could be the backup Z to Olave and could still be the number three receiver on the team. Because, like you said, they're going to. Ideally, they want to rotate two guys at both spots if they can. And, and I sur- I still think that's very, a very realistic possibility because you've got a lot of candidates. It's just not easy to say, okay, who's that third starter? Who's ahead of the others in the pecking order? Because we didn't get to see how things would unfold this spring. So I would put Jameson he'd be my pick to be the third most productive receiver. Who who would you pick? Who who would you pick to be most productive outside of the top two?
1: I, I think that three stand out to me, and it's Jameson Williams, it's Julian Fleming, and it's Jalen Harris. And, you know, I'm intrigued by Jalen Harris. The thing is, it's a, he's a senior. I feel like he was a freshman last year. Like, he... He, I, I can't say that there's been one play either in a game or practice that, that makes me think that Jalen Harris is going to be third on the team in receiving. Because, yes, you're going to need to put your best guys on the field, especially when you have the talent like they do and in they're in their underclassmen. So that's why I think maybe I wouldn't go with him. Um, Fleming is fascinating to me. It's just hard for me to say that, that, that a freshman is going to be their number three, which is why I do probably come back to, to Jameson Williams. Um I I I don't know if he'll be third on the team in catches. I think he'll I I I would pick him to be third on the team in receiving yards, um mainly because <laughs> I think he might average like 25. like you think the guy who's going to start is maybe
0: Yeah. Yep, I think that's a very important point to make because they were experimenting with Garrett in the slot this spring, but that was for one week, and we don't know if they were going to keep doing that. We also don't know how that might change based on not having spring practice. I think a lot of that depends on who else they believe is most ready to play other than him and Chris Olave. I, I think if he's in the slot, I think I would... Lean very tentatively, very slightly toward Jalen Harris being the starting X receiver. So, potentially, that means then whether Garrett Wilson plays the slot depends on how far Jalen Harris is coming, whether he's ready to take on that role. Because I do think, you know, I you know, a couple of guys you didn't mention. You know, I I still think Jalen Gill is a guy that if, if he makes the strides that he needs to make. Is certainly still a candidate to play a big role in the slot. I've also already established on this podcast that I, I have high expectations for Jackson Smith and Jigba and and that has not changed. Uh, so, you know, I think he's a guy who could factor in at that slot as well. So, uh, you know, I, I do wonder if maybe because I, I do think part of the reason to move to move Garrett inside is because you think, okay, Julian Fleming or even a G Scott, one of those guys is going to be ready to make a jump and play a big role at that X receiver position. And, and I know, like like Colin hinted at, I know there's a significant portion of a fan base out there, because I've seen him in my Twitter mentions, who thinks, this is obvious, Julian Fleming is going to be the other starter. I'm not going there. I, I'm not going there. That's nothing against Julian Fleming. I think Julian Fleming is going to be a fantastic receiver at Ohio State. But I also think he's a true freshman who has had one week of practice at this point. I think he's a guy who's coming from a wing T offense in high school that's very different than the offense he's going to play in at Ohio State. And I also don't think they're going to want to start a true freshman in their rotation. I think you could see multiple true freshmen between Julian, Jackson, Jackson, G even Mookie Cooper, I think you could see, you know, maybe two of those guys in that rotation regularly. But I think ideally, they're not going to want any of them in the starting lineup. So that's why I lean toward it either being, you know, Jamison Williams moves positions or Chris Olave moves positions, and they're all three of them are in there. That Jalen Harris is in at X or Jalen Gill's in the slot. But I think You know, one of those guys is going to really have to – one of those freshmen is going to really, really have to kill it when they come back in preseason camp to to be an outright starter as a true freshman.
1: Yeah, I generally agree with with your – the point that you were making about – how, how difficult it is for a freshman to start because you know when I when I think about the, the plan and what Ohio State wants is they want a guy like a Jalen Harrison or Elijah Gardner, an upperclassman, to to be ready to be ready to take that uh, take that starting job and run with it. And I just think right now I'm not sure that Ohio State's necessarily in that position, which is it would normally be maybe a little bit unfortunate for the Buckeyes, except if your second option, if if the fallback plan has to be Julian Fleming. Like you, or, or even a Jamison Williams, who's an underclassman, technically, you're gonna be okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's let's be honest. Having uh, Julian Fleming as a fallback option uh, is a pretty good fallback option to have, and 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 I I think their receivers are going to be very good, regardless. But you know, Ryan Day did say when we last talked to him that. He for receivers might be the biggest concern position in regards to not having spring practice just because of how young they are there and because of the fact that they only have two guys who have played regularly there. And so you know, that's, that's going to be a question that, that they're going to have to answer here in, in, in terms of whenever they do get back on the practice field and, and get rolling again, you know, who's ready to play? In in that group. And I think they do. I think, you know, they look at guys like Jalen Harris and Jalen Gill and say, you know, these are guys that we expect you to be ready to play now. And if they're not, you know, that's ultimately an indictment on them. Ultimately, a guy like Jalen Harris, Jalen Gill, Elijah Gardner, Demario McCall, those are guys, this is their opportunity. They should get the first opportunity. If they don't seize it and the freshmen beat them out, well, great if if that means the freshmen are ready to play right now, but not great for those guys who got beat out.
1: Generally, if you ever get beat out by an by an underclassman, you can really never guarantee you're going to get a second chance, um, which is that's difficult. And 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 maybe at different positions it's different, but like if 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 a Jalen if a Jalen Gill doesn't start this year, man, it's it, you, he's going to be in a rough position going forward just because of the talent that that Ohio State has. Um, coming in as well
0: yeah i mean they've got four freshmen who i think you know this year or not you are all guys who have huge upside to be playmakers for the buckeyes over the next two to three years and then you've already got Jaden ballard and marvin harrison jr lined up in 2021 the same thing is going to be true for those guys so uh the future of the ohio state wide receiver room is very bright but that doesn't mean there aren't still some Honestly, significant questions in regards to the to the present, even though having Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson and all that talent behind him is something to feel pretty good about.
1: You want to take some questions?
0: Sure. We had a few different questions uh, this week. One comes from Kettering Mike O'Free, and he asked, What are the five best plays in the game? Of course, being the Ohio State Michigan game, this this millennium what is the best play well here's the truth i'm a fairly young guy colin's a fairly young guy too i i i'd be lying to you if i if i told you what i knew the best plays from the 2000s were of the ohio state michigan game because i just wasn't really watching those games is that true for you as well colin
1: yeah i don't want to let people in on the secret that i have watched less than half of the ohio state mission games in this millennium but i might just let that slip
0: yeah i mean i mean I, i'll be honest with you but i i can't say that i've i've seen a ton of of games from the 2000s i mean i've, I've seen some clips you know certainly of you know the game of a century game you know i've certainly seen some clips from that and uh, you know, occasional clips from other games, but really, you know, I, I I would say you know 2011 when I was a freshman at Ohio State was when I really started watching you know Ohio State games more closely. So I can really only speak on you know the past decade, and I and I am looking back at a piece our Kevin Harris actually did in in January where he ranked the top ten plays against Michigan from the past decade. Um, in, in, in his rankings, he, he had the number one play as Tyvus Powell's interception in 2013 to, to seal the game on a two-point conversion attempt. Uh, you mentioned that in your question, Kettering Mike. I'd have that right up there as well. Uh, number two being the Brooklyn Dagger with Curtis Samuel in 2016. He had Chris Olave's blocked punt at number three. Malik Hooker's pick six from 2016 was his number four, and you mentioned that in your question as well. And number five being Dwayne Haskins' strike to Austin Mack in 2017. I, I think if I'm ranking the best, I, I think I'd have to save a Curtis Samuel play just because uh, the way that game was, a true game-winning play in double overtime I think that's the one to me, since I've been watching Ohio State-Michigan games, that's the one, when you think of a great play in Ohio State-Michigan game, that's the one to me that immediately comes to mind.
1: Yeah, and I'll just say, like, that trio of plays, I, I just, I don't know. I can't tell you every trio of plays that's ever happened but I, it's hard for me to imagine there's three plays in a row that have just been more spectacular in those three plays because, one, you had Curtis Samuel going side-to-side side on the field, and like Urban Meyer said when he was rewatching the game earlier this week, like if he gets tackled, they, they probably lose because all of a sudden you're in a, a fourth-and-long situation and you can't get your field goal, and that's a tough place to be in for, for that Ohio State team especially. Um, and then the next play, it's the spot – and then you have the Brooklyn dagger the that's play Curtis Samuel running in to beat Michigan. I just think that those three plays like even even at the time you know you knew it was special but looking back on it it's it's incredible.
0: Yeah, I mean, and and honestly, there might be a little bit of exposure bias there because I think we were both watching on Saturday uh, when Big Ten Network replayed that game and, and Urban Meyer was doing an Instagram Live. So we just saw the highlights of that game. So uh, that one's fresh in our minds. But Oh, yeah, you know, I,
1: I'm, I'm totally biased. I was literally on the goal line right there on the side that Curtis Samuel scored. So, I, yeah, I'm never going to forget that one.
0: <laughs> but I will say that Titus that Powell play is right up there for me as well because I, I did cover that game. And that's one I've always remembered. Uh, you know, I, mean, I think what I always remember is talking to Tyvis after the game and uh, him calling Kerry Combs a genius because Kerry Combs uh, told him the play that Michigan was going to run, and he read it perfectly, and, and it and it won the game. It, it did make the difference in the game because if Michigan had scored that two-point conversion, they would have had a one-point lead with 32 seconds left. So I think to me, you know, those are the two that really stand out in my mind like said it like i said it's it's just not uh it's, i'm just not able to give proper perspective to to plays that happened before the past 10 years because uh even i i i'm sure i saw some of them just like watching football when yeah, i was so. a teenager but i i didn't really absorb them the way that i have recent games because at the time i wasn't I wasn't an Ohio State fan. I didn't have any feelings toward Ohio State one way or the other, uh, and I certainly wasn't covering them. So... Uh, it's just hard for me to put those in the same kind of perspective from the time that I've actually been watching the team closely.
1: Yeah, I know that basically everyone who listens to this is you're someone who grew up watching the game, and and this has been a giant part of your life. The whole your this has been a giant part of your life since you were since you were a kid. And for me, that's what West Virginia Pitt was until it wasn't that way for for. Um, Because they decided to move different conferences, and now I have had to wait for an entire decade until these teams play again, and I think it's 2022 or 2023, I don't know. Had it on the calendar for like seven years now, but I'll say this, like to put this into perspective on how, how lacking my Ohio State memory, or Ohio State Michigan memory is, I still remember the first time I had... Really sat down and watched an, an entire Ohio State Michigan game that I remember when I was in Columbus with uh, with fellow with, with Ohio State fans around me because I'm I, I had 100 percent watched the game before but it wasn't in this setting was I, I still remember it was when Marcus Hall gave the finger to everybody and <laughs> yeah let me tell you that was an awesome indoctrination that's like wow I should have been watching this for the last two decades since I or decade and a half since I've been alive that was awesome <laughs> and that is
0: that. that is still my personal personal favorite moment <laughs> it was amazing you know, I, I that i was at that game uh, as well i think that was the type of battle game if i remember correctly uh but yeah that that is my favorite that is my favorite moment uh because it's just it's just such a perfect rivalry moment
1: it yeah, really cause, is because you think that everything's over and 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 it was great even up until then these are two teams that clearly hate each other and then that it's like i don't think I was like, I'm all in. I'm all in. I'll, I'll watch this any. I'll watch this every year now. I don't know what I was doing, not watching it beforehand.
0: Based on a number of Twitter Abbeys I still see that as Marcus Hall giving the double bird. I think that's a pretty popular one among Ohio State fans as well. tremendous. Now we also had the most prolific string of questions that we've ever had. Real Pod Wednesdays from Shep thirteen sixty four. Who a
1: man up the bar to a level I didn't know.
0: Yeah, was he, possible. He he asked. Five questions and a, a comment. The comment was about uh, how the college football season would start if you know things were shortened. We already kind of talked about that, so not going to get into that. Uh, did we did mention the one he asked earlier about Holtman? You know, whether he'd be in favor of starting the season up with the NCAA tournament? Again, he didn't really answer that. Uh, but we'll kind of rapid fire through your other questions since you did ask us four other questions, and the first one was. What did you guys miss most from not having a spring game this year? Well, I think what I miss most is just the fact that I feel like I know so much less about what this team is going to look like than I would if we had watched a spring game. Because I think that, you know, even though it's not a real football game per se and, you know, you don't want to read too much into it. You know, there are things that you can see just from watching the spring game, just seeing how different guys look and seeing, you know, what their depth chart looks like, who, you know, who, who's on what team. There's a lot of different little things you can start to piece together from watching the spring game that a lot of times do end up proving true. And we didn't have that. So I, I, I think for me, I just feel right now like I feel like we're still where we were at in terms of knowing this team where we were you know before spring even started and i feel like we're still going to be there until this team's allowed to practice again so that's what i miss most is just feeling like i don't know as much about this year's team as i would if there was a spring game
1: yeah i think mine is 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 that essentially i always thought of the spring game as maybe the last sporting event before uh a three to four month dry spell where it's just nothing is happening and i sort of always just looked forward to it where sure it's it's not going to be ohio state michigan this isn't exactly going to be an intense football game it's probably going to be two and touch for the first quarter or something like that but it's a spectacle I really love. I always love going there when there's 80,000 people in the in the stands watching a meaningless football game, and you've got so many former Buckeyes back just patrolling the sidelines. It's just it's just a more it's a fun, laid back um, football game, and I and I just enjoy the spectacle of it all. And 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 to me, it also marks um, every year on the calendar sort of the the last um, the last sporting event before nothingness and unfortunately we entered nothingness a month early
0: and you know i i think colin and i are both pretty good about like appreciating these moments and you know kind of enjoying the spectacle of these games and you know we're always focused on our work but i think we try to you know you know we we try to recognize that you know this is an opera it's a cool opportunity to have to go to these games and cover these games and you know I, i i can think of other media members who i will not name who uh, love to complain about every little thing that they don't like about every single game. Uh, but I don't think we're those kind of people. I think we just try to uh, enjoy it. And, and my point would be with what we're going through right now, of all the uncertainty, I, I would just hope for everybody, but when we do get football back and we do all get to be in the shoe again, let's enjoy it. Let's, let's appreciate it. Let's, let's remember that this to be taken away from us and, and 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 try to enjoy it because i i know i sure sure as hell am looking forward to this all being over and being able to go back to normal and being able to to go to an ohio state football game again
1: next question from a boy shep 1364 is as a result of covid19 and senior spring athletes being eligible for another season did those coaches get a message phone call email from gene smith as to how ohio state would go forward with them or was it up to individual sports
0: yeah, so what I think Gene Smith really did was he really talked to the coaches. Uh, so when the NCAA made the announcement on, at the end of March that the spring, senior spring sports athletes would be eligible for another season, he got on a call within the hour. Uh, I think it was really minutes after the announcement was made. He was on a call with all the spring sports coaches, and, and he told all of them. That Ohio State uh, would be uh, continuing to financially support them, that any of them who wanted to return would would have the opportunity to come back for another year and receive the same amount of financial aid that he did last year. And then those coaches passed along the message to their teams that, that that would be... Uh, the opportunity so you know Gene Smith he he, he's got so much on his plate right now he couldn't individually call 70 seniors and, and talk to them about it but he did give that message immediately to the coaches and then they passed that message along to their athletes and ultimately had those conversations with each of their athletes about whether they should come back for another year or whether they would ultimately decide to move on to the next phase of their lives
1: nailed it Since I know you're the one that talked to all the coaches and asked Gene (laughs) Smith questions, I figured that you'd be the one to answer that one. Our boy Shep, again, topic for another time probably, which he's probably right. We could go on this for a long time, so let's rapid fire this. Uh, What mentors, writers, life events made you guys want to be sports reporters? (laughs) Also, when talking to legends of the OSU beat, um, whose work do you follow the most? And parentheses, P.S. is Doug, meaning Doug LaMarie from cleveland.com, is he as mean as he claims he is. Well, we we'll, we'll, starting with the first one and like you said, I I do
0: think this is a topic if you guys if you guys have more specific questions about this stuff, uh I'm happy to talk about this stuff, especially now in the off season. Like, if you guys want to, like, if you guys have questions, kind of about like our jobs behind the scenes and you know the daily life. If you guys have any more specific questions about this, but you want us to talk about over the next few months, uh, we'd be happy to do that. I think this is a great forum for that. But j- just to hit it really broadly, uh, because you know we are running out of time here. You know, for me, uh, I-, I can't even really point to just one event. For me, this was just something that, from a time I was a really young kid, that I, I decided I want to do. I I remember <laughs> I remember being a kid and uh, playing my sports video games, and and I would I would commentate them myself, even though there were commentators in the games. I would I would be commentating them myself, and, and and I think that's just when you know even from the time I was a little kid, I had dreams of uh, being in sports media. I I, I also. Realized from a young age that I was not going to be a professional athlete myself. Uh, I I remember being a little kid and dreaming of being the next Michael Jordan, and and it became quickly apparent that I was not going to be the next Michael Jordan. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's really for me, I I, I always loved sports from the time I was a kid. Um, You know, I would say my dad, you know, being a big sports fan, you know, really from the time I was a kid my dad and I have always talked about sports. I mean, literally every day we talk about sports. So uh, I I think it just came really naturally for me to want to be around sports for a career. And I I, I took pretty naturally to writing. So I I think I just realized I liked writing about sports. I liked analyzing sports and talking about sports. And so it just kind of came natural for me to, to this be the career that I would pursue because it's something that I had a lot of natural interest in.
1: Yep, I think. Um, I mean, I think that a lot of us go down a similar path when it comes to that. I think for me personally, um, when I was young, I would. I grew up in Richmond, and I would read the Richmond Times Dispatch every morning, and specifically, I would read the sports section. And then when I moved to Cleveland, when I was in fifth grade, I would read the Plain Dealer every day. And then when I was when I was growing up in Cleveland, I would watch probably hundred fifty out of the hundred sixty-two. Uh, Cleveland Indians games, and I would probably watch like 75, 80 of the 82 Cavs games. And I'd watch all 16 Browns games, and I'd watch the majority of West Virginia games too. And like when you just when you consume that much, like, it, you sort of just end up wanting to be in the industry one way or another. Like Dan, don't think I was ever going to make it there as a player. Like sure, you have your dreams also of like, oh my God, what if I'm the next general manager of the Yankees? But uh, yeah, I don't know that that one's in the cards either. So you end up here, where I think that this is—I uh, think writing is something that I've sort of always enjoyed doing, um, and I'm not—I'm not someone who necessarily really. Uh, like sciences or, or math or whatnot, that's that's for my sister to do. I will uh, stick with what I do and, and I enjoy and, and I just think sports journalism is sort of the when when you when when sports and, and, and the thing that you think that you do well and, and like doing and writing and when those two match, this is I think that's sort of just where you end up generally.
0: As for the questions about the legends of the OSUB I, I think Colin might be in the same boat here with me as well. But it, it, in terms of like growing up i i wasn't reading ohio state sports writers because i i wasn't you know following ohio state that closely you know for me uh i teased it earlier the thing i've always had a ton of interest in from the time i was a little kid was uh the nfl draft so i remember growing up and like reading mel kuiper like that was what i really enjoyed uh reading because that was just something i was super interested in but you know I think certainly, you know, you think of a legend of the OSU beat, I think Tim May always comes to mind. And uh, Tim, somebody who, uh, from the time I was a student on the Ohio State beat, uh, has always been nothing but friendly, uh, nothing but generous to me. Uh, You know, somebody who uh, is certainly revered for, you know, the decades of service that he has given to the Ohio State beat. And, uh, certainly someone I think that we all, we all look up to and all have a ton of respect for, uh, and as for your question about Doug. No, Doug, Doug is, Doug is not as mean as he claims he is. At least, at least not to me. Doug, Doug has always been, uh, very nice to me as well. Uh, very generous. Uh, you know, he's helped me out with stuff when I've had questions for him. Uh, he's always been generous enough, generous enough to, to answer, answer to me. So, uh, no, I, uh, at least from my, uh, Personal interactions with with Doug uh, mean is not the word that I would use.
1: Yeah, Tim is definitely the legend of the beat, and there aren't plural to me. I think legend of the OSU beat is Tim May, and I don't think that you'd find a lot of argument with that.
0: Well, and I mean, in terms of people who are still on the beat, no one else has been around even close to as long as he has.
1: Yeah, yeah, and sure, there are probably some people who have have covered Ohio State who maybe aren't covering it anymore that maybe deserve to be in that category, but for people who are still around. tim may the fact that he's still around is, is pretty it, it's awesome and dan i think that i want to do a tim may impression right now but i know better than to do it yeah I, it would be I, probably poor. probably not <laughs> i respect that you're just like colin please don't do that yeah but probably um not. no I tim mean, has that, a good
0: sense of humor so oh my God. So
1: tim would want me to do it he, Dude.
0: he would appreciate it but i think it's best we don't
1: it is probably best we don't, because cause he's he's a one-of-a-kind, but yeah, no, I think, I don't know that Doug is as mean as he claims he is, Doug is, I think Doug is the best question asker on the beat, I really appreciate that about him, I think that, um, I mean, he's been around, it's funny, because like I say, I, I grew up reading The Plain Dealer, but since I wasn't an Ohio State fan growing up, since I wasn't really following the Buckeyes, he was in The Plain Dealer, but I, I just wasn't. I wasn't necessarily reading him all the time, which is—it's funny to look back on the fact that now he's covering the same team, and and you know I read that paper growing up, but I can't say that I that I was I was reading him a ton. It was mainly for the three Cleveland pro sports.
0: And and, and actually, if Doug was Doug was in his current role back then, you probably would have been reading him more because now he writes some about the Browns. You probably would have been reading. That about.
1: is true. That is true. I hadn't even thought of that.
0: Last question from our guy shep 1364 he said being a strength coach myself i would be curious as to how the strength coaches physical therapists nutritionists sports site stacks etc are staying in touch with the athletes have you guys heard anything as to remote training apps or zoom meetings well zoom meetings it definitely sounds like is the big thing uh based on uh you know i've talked to several coaches since this whole thing started you know ryan day chris Holtman." Tom Ryan, some of the Spring Sports coaches as well. And they've all talked about having Zoom meetings with their teams. So uh, I think not just in college sports, I think, period, Zoom is like in right now like that seems to be what everybody's doing Uh, so I I think they have all been taking advantage of of that technology Uh, and I think certainly you know that's not just the coaching staffs but I think certainly uh, that applies to uh, strength coaches and and other members of the staff as well in terms of a way to get in touch with people Uh, I know uh, just to be more specific about some of that I know that the strength coaches uh, have been able to send some equipment home to athletes you know obviously they can't send home you know big weights but they've been able to send home you know some workout bands and small things like that for guys to be able to work out with Uh, i know that the nutritionists have actually been able to send home uh, some food and uh, protein mixes whatever it might be uh so that the players can have those resources available to them at home Um, you know in terms of you know physical therapists uh, there are some guys who are rehabbing from injuries that are still on campus and going to the uh, sports medicine institute. But for the most part, you know those guys have been given a rehab plan that you know they're they're working out on on their own. And then the uh, the sports psychology staffs they're they're still accessible uh, to the athletes as well. They're still. Um, you know, having meetings with, with athletes who are in need of, you know, mental health consultation or, or anything like that. So, you know, they're making sure that those resources are still available for them as well. And that also applies to, you know, academic support staff as well, uh, tutors, uh, you know, people like that. You, those resources are still available to, to those athletes as well as they take their classes online. So uh, they're doing what they can to continue to provide those resources to athletes as much as possible. But one thing they're not allowed to do is that they're not allowed to to actually host virtual workouts. So they, they can't they can't actually uh, have a guy, you know, set up a camera in their home and, and work out and monitor. They, they're not allowed to do that. Um, you know, I know Nick Saban had said that he was giving his guys Apple watches and using those and that sparked some controversy. Ryan Day was pretty clear a couple of weeks ago that Ohio State wasn't going to go down that road. So, there's no remote training apps or anything at least as far as I'm aware that they're using. It's more of an honor system there. You know, they they are providing workouts to guys, but they can't really monitor whether guys are doing them. They're just kind of giving those guys the tools and trusting them to do what they need to do.
1: Yep, I think, and and that's where it's just a case by case basis of, of how exactly they're com- completing them, and, and that's obviously it's hard to know necessarily how that's going for each individual person because everybody's in such incredibly different circumstances.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it, that's the thing. It's it's such a it's such a unique situation that uh, and it's so unprecedented that you know you just have to do your best. To, to provide whatever you can, you know, to each athlete. But I, you know, I think the big thing is they're they're certainly trying to make sure of it. Whatever resources they can provide, especially in terms of academics, mental health, you know, things like that, they're definitely trying to make sure that they provide those resources. They, you know, there's there's only so much you can do from an athletic standpoint, from a strength standpoint, from afar. But whatever, they, whatever they're allowed to do, whatever they can do, uh, I think you can be assured that Ohio State is doing whatever it's allowed to do, whatever it's it's possible for them to do to provide the resources that they can for their athletes. And I think that about does it. Anything else that we, we didn't get to here today, Colin, that we should
1: have? I, I think we're golden.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think we're good. Uh, thanks, everyone, for hanging in there with us. Uh you know, we hope you guys enjoyed the conversation today. I know that there's some of you who probably don't feel like hearing us talk for half an hour about possibly not having a college football season. I know there's also probably some of you that don't feel like hearing us talk for half an hour about basketball. So we appreciate you all hanging in there. Uh, but and we appreciate all you who sent in your questions, especially Shep, who who set a new record for most questions in one week. So if somebody wants to try to top them next week, Uh, give it your best shot. But uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, Next week, of course, NFL draft coming up. So I think we'll definitely be talking some about that and where we expect some of the Ohio State guys to go. And then anything else that comes up, we'll be talking about that as well. So thanks again for listening, everyone, and we'll be back next week.